Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode continues something of a of a theme where I've been trying to speak to people from different cultures and countries and, and, and backgrounds and what have you to try and see what their their sort of scene is and, and what metal is like in their community, in their city, in their country. And it's been interesting so far. I've, I've found quite a lot of a lot of things that, you know, we, we share in common. A lot of the times I wanted to highlight things that maybe we're unaware of um, in, in certain countries that other countries are maybe up to deal with uh, conflict and, and things like that and economic struggles and, and what have you. And in reality, there is an awful lot of stuff that, that connects us. There really is. This, this, the struggles are sometimes very similar, especially in the metal community, which uh, we're enabled just to get your music out there, just to play a live show. Uh, sometimes getting a venue or even a place you can actually play music seems to be a constant struggle. And so it was nice to sit with down with, with Sincere, a duo, uh, Trey, uh, one half of the duo, Sincere, from South Texas, and, and talking to him about his band and stuff, who I would strongly advise checking out. Sincere I got some absolutely superb bits and pieces out there, that, and it looks like they're just growing and growing and growing. I'm, I eagerly await the, the next the next recordings. I've been devouring everything they've had so far, and I will put links into the uh, into the posts as as I always do. One of the things that was uh, that was was come from it was just how how much music there is out there, and you have to do a little bit of work. You have to dig for this underground and unsigned bands and have a look for them and try to find this because it's often where all the gems are usually before everybody finds them it is where you'll find these bands kind of buried away and that's what i tried to do with these episodes it's all too easy to talk to a huge band that everybody's aware of and that's great and we will do that and that has advantages but it's always really great for me to talk to a band who's either just beginning or the start of their journey with some great pieces going on, some great work, some great riffs in, in the case of Sincere, some great tunes, really, really strong uh, playing, and you can see that all the way through. I'll put a track at the end of this this episode as well, so you can listen to that. As a side to this, um, I'm also going to be comparing an event uh, next week, which will be uh, a Q&A with my great friend uh, Ned and uh, Nadim Hassan from um, from Liverpool University, talking about metal music and the community and what have you. We'll be hosting that at a distillery with uh, Joe Mortimer speaking there, fabulous Joe Mortimer, who we've had on the show before. He'll be talking as well. And it's a real chance to sit down and talk about this whole scenes thing and this whole local community thing, uh, with the backdrop being Neg's got a book out about the metal music scene. He wrote a book all about, about the scene in my community in Merseyside and he talks about that. We'll be doing a Q&A. And it'd be great to just to see everybody there and talk to people and talk to bands and people within the scene as well about what we can do to help support musicians, what we can do to help support our own scene, and what we can do to foster new bands and, and, and get great music and keep that sort of river of real great music coming and great venues to stay open. And that's going to be fantastic. That'll be next week on uh, the 4th of November. I'll probably put that as a show. Hopefully I'll be able to do that. Um, I'd certainly like to read some of the extracts from the book as well. I think that'd be very, very good to do. But I'll hopefully put that as a as a live show. Um, the tickets are free for this event. All you have to do is register. And I would suggest you do that as well. Uh, this is a fantastic chance to sit down and talk to some people. The, the things that Joe will talk about will be, uh, bring your notepad and pen because he's just a, a font of great information. And and just the fascinating stuff that Ned was talking about. I've had I've read sort of extracts from the book, and it's it's superb to kind of highlight something that maybe Merseyside wasn't as well known for. 
just one of those examples where I'm trying to support people who are trying to support our scene. So I'd, I'd urge everybody to check that out. And if you're not in the country or you're not available for that, I will, like I say, if I can, put it as an episode of the Spoken Metal Show. But let's get straight to it. Um, this is my conversation with Trey, Trey uh, Solilo uh, from Sincere. And uh, please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, very pleased to be joined with uh, with Trey from, from Sincere. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, with the, there's, there's so much to cover with, with Trey's in, he's in Sincere and another project as well. And uh, I don't know, it's almost uh, impossible to begin because there's so much I want to ask about uh, about Texas and, 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 and Austin and that kind of whole scene within that. But I like to start a lot of these episodes with just talking with yourself about the first time you're hearing music and, and what music is that that you're first sort of taking in? Well, um so I was born right into the 90s, July 20th, 1990. So um, I grew up with pretty much just what my parents were listening to. So uh, my my mom and my dad listened to very like different conflicting genres. Like my dad was, you know, an old school rocker. So he was into ACDC, Def Leppard, Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, all those kinds of bands. And my mom, my mom loved like, you know, just what whatever was on the top 40 at the time, whatever was the hot new singles. So she would always watch like the top 20 countdown. So like I kind of, those were like the only two <clears throat> like frame of references I had as far as music goes. So for like the first, I don't know, like 10 years, it was really just whatever was on the radio. And um, it really wasn't until I discovered the band Corn, which was like in the late nineties. Yeah. I was still, I was still like a child at the time, but at the time I had never heard anything that heavy or that, mm. that intense, you know, and like, it just like, it just intrigued me. And from there, man, it just, that's just kind of where everything kind of uh, shifted. And then I got, you know, into different genres of rock, different genres of metal. And then just over time, it just became just a whole, like a huge passion of just all these different wide array of genres, because there's so much, uh, there's just so much you can pull from all of these great different bands, you know, from, from Black Sabbath all the way to Gojira that, you know, bands that you have now, you know, there's just such a, such a insane amount of progression. So yeah, man, it's just, I was just floored by all of it. So that's kind of just where isn't it all came it, from. It funny that the, the people outside of the metal and heavy music sort of scene often see this being very much one shade and one sort of thing or heavy metal is that and metal is that and, and, and that's it when in actual fact, there's, there's many, many, many different strains and strands of it. Like, you know, like you say, everything from seventies Sabbath to Gajira, you know what I mean? To, to, and yeah. everything in between that, there's, there's a vast, uh, sort of different shades to the, to the whole genre, you know, I'm sure it's the case with every genre, but oh yeah, metal is obviously always seen as being the, the knuckle dragon kind of, uh, everything sounds the same type of thing. And it's just not the case, you know? Um, yeah, that's so, very true. So corn was kind of the first. Was it from the get go? Was it from kind of like the first albums and stuff, or was it later on that you got into them? Well, uh, the first song actually—it's this was so funny about it. Uh, the first song I actually heard by them wasn't actually one of their songs. So uh, the first three albums that they did, they would do secret tracks at the end of their at the end of their album, and yeah. on the third album, "Follow the Leader," they did a secret track with Cheech Marin, mm -hmm. uh, which was the cover of "Earache My Eye," and it. it I think I want to say all the band members actually switched uh, instruments. So like the singer was on the drums, the bass player was doing the singing, the guitar yeah. players, like it, it was, it was like all switched up, but that was the original song that I'd heard. Hmm. And that was kind of just like where everything changed, man. Um, those first three albums really, really 
they, like they came they came out as well those albums when um and ladies and gentlemen of the younger uh, audience potentially they were on cds um these oh, were yeah. these crazy things that you could get that were cylindrical things a little smaller <laughs> than an lp but they were doing all kinds of things like because cds have been out a while and um, especially metal bands were, uh, were doing some um, rock bands were doing anything they could to fuck up with the medium so they put secret tracks on and yeah. they put things at the end after logic spaces, you know. I remember, I think it's on Follow the Leader, isn't it? A counting before the, the albums on the CD counts, and it counts in or something before yeah. the, the very first track. Is it BBQ, I think, is the first track? I can't remember. But there's a uh, counting before the do uh, it. I want to say it was 48 seconds of silence. So, yeah, the track it actually doesn't start until track 13. But yeah. from what I heard, the reason that they did that was uh, it was it was in honor of um, the kid Justin. The name of the song, Justin, off of that right. album. Right. Uh, it was a way of like it was like a moment of silence in honor of him because like, yeah. that was the first time that they someone said my dying wish was to meet this band and it like they were like what so like yeah, from what, what I heard that was why they honored him so I thought yeah. that was so cool of them that's to very do shit cool like that. isn't it yeah but it's it's funny man because uh I didn't even think about it until you pointed that out like I really am showing my age with that because <laughs> what, I don't know because like uh, secret tracks really aren't a thing now not, not like they used not, not like they used to be. Yeah. No, no. And, and not just that, but I remember um, when I first discovered corn, uh, my dad, he had like an older, I mean, older, he had, a, he had a friend, he was older or whatever, but he actually had the first three corn albums. And at the time CDs were so like, like they were expensive. Mm-hmm. So it was much easier to get a cassette tape and play the CD and then record it to a cassette tape. So my dad's friend would bring over these corn records and he would let me record them on cassette tape. And that was originally how I would listen to my music, dude. And it's just so wild when he, when he pointed that, I'm like, Oh my God, that really was a long, <laughs> yeah, it's what, really it's was one of the things we lost in the street, in the streaming age, you've yeah. lost the secret track. It, it, it can't yeah. happen. It did. Oh the media doesn't allow it. Mind blown, <laughs> dude. I, I, that I'd never even thought of that until you just pointed that out. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the only way you can do it is if you, uh, you know, you put it on a on a. You know, you could do, CDs still get released, don't they? Bands still do that. To a yeah, they still degree, do CDs. So. And, uh, you probably do it on a, a vinyl, also. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That, I think on vinyls actually you have to, um, you actually have to move the needle specifically to a spot in order to to get the secret track. So it on. doesn't cut off beforehand like a, a, an LP does. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Love that yeah. Someone has to. I love that someone has to work to get that secret track, and I love hearing about. <laughs> things on records that people didn't realize were there like the it took me i think when when nirvana released, released nevermind there's a there's a there was a, a, a the last track under the under the bridge was the um well it was the, like the secret track um mm-hmm. and uh, i had i'd listened to that album for like a year before someone told me that was the case and it was like discovering the album again it was like finding some yeah. east, hidden easter egg that you that had been put there by the the people that made it and yeah we've lost that a little bit with streaming haven't we where we those yeah. things have these wonderful little touches that, that the artist wanted to put in there as it was presented to you and with the streaming service you just you don't get that it's just kind of okay i'll pick track seven eleven and two and i'll be listening to them in that order you know mm-hmm. uh, not only that man but i i really do feel bad for the kids today because they will never understand what it was like to walk into a record store not knowing what you're going to get and you just you just get to dig through all of these different bands all of these different singers all these different genres and you can literally just pick a band or pick an album just blindly take a chance on it and normally you will end up loving that album and it'll change your whole world and the fact that like that's just kind of lost now like even just the physical like just like opening the tearing off the fucking saran wrap and looking at the artwork looking at the lyrics 
the photo just it just kind of like embodied everything man like it, it gave the um it gave a visualization to the album and i mean you still have that now with like you know a lot of the digital artwork and stuff which is cool but it's still just not the same and you can't fill it in your hands you know it's yeah. it's just yeah that part we lost as well and i i do miss that a lot too I call that I, I call that it's come up a few times on, on shows this. I call that the, there was a ceremony to, to mm-hmm. buying a record. There was a whole process of you picking yeah. it up, looking at the artwork, reading the linear notes, taking it home, watch reading it as you were listening to the music. There was a whole ceremony, a whole process to that. Yeah. And yeah, and and, and it's gone now to to a to a later aggressive greater or lesser degree. I mean, I don't get me wrong, I think what will happen is people will learn to subvert this medium, so they'll learn to go, okay, what can we do with streaming? Okay, well, we can do this then, and we can do that. And, it, and it's already happening, you know, things like what Kanye was doing with live listening parties and things like that and live streams. There's, there's ways we can you can still mess with it. And I think it's yeah. probably in its infancy, so it will sort of change. Do you, do you remember going into the record shop for the first time and the first time you bought a record yourself? Do you remember that? Uh, I can't, I couldn't. I think the first rock record I want to say I bought was corn follow the leader uh and I, I remember it too because um at the time the the record store that i went into um they didn't allow uh kids under 18 to buy parental advisory cds oh yeah okay so, and uh that was the first time i actually came across an album that had the parental advisory label on it yeah and i had no idea what it meant i didn't know what it was so i went to i went up to the <laughs> counter and <laughs> they denied me so i had to go out and get my, <laughs> get my mom and <laughs> actually <laughs> my dad came in actually and uh he bought he bought it and then i just remember my mom like was so mad on the way home she was like she was like grilling me she's like this is parental advisory i'm like what does that mean she means it means kids aren't supposed to have it i'm like i'm like i'm like 10 i'm like 10 years old how am i supposed to know like i was just like it wasn't even about what they were saying man it was just the music was so heavy like yeah I never heard. I mean, prior to that, I had never heard anything like that. So like yeah. I was, I was, yeah, man, I was just amazed by it. And I think that's why, like, once I started getting more into like um, thrash metal and death metal and even like avant-garde, like it just like every time in my mind, is just blown by like how these musicians are able to come up with this crazy ass shit, dude. It's awesome. I, I, I love that, um, you know, uh, for maybe those that don't know, the parental advisory was a, a sticker they used to put on records Oh my God, that's so old too. Yeah, (laughs) to what? (laughs) You're right. That's so old too. But it's but it's necessary to talk about it because it was put on a record to say you know this contains bad language or sexual content or something you know they didn't want kids to listen to. And they put this sticker on a record and it said parental advisory. And it took about a second for bands to realize that if you had that label on your record, your record would sell way more. That's very um, true. And it completely backfired the whole process. Now kids would go into the record store and they would look for the album that had the because everybody wants what they what they can't have. Everybody wants the thing that they're told that you oh, you mustn't listen to this. And that's the thing that you will gravitate to, isn't it, all the time? Um and I, I remember when I first heard Call Myself and, and it was the heaviness that kind of um really pushed me over because the first thing you hear is obviously the guitars and stuff, uh, a monkey mm-hmm. and that. And oh yeah. It was the heaviness of it because, you know, previously I'd heard downtune stuff. I'd heard things that I thought was in inverted commas heavy, you know, uh, even stuff like, you know, Godflesh and things like that and the earlier bands like that, they were super heavy, but a lot of them didn't even touch the tunings that they were using. So like Korn were using like seven string guitars. They took mm-hmm. Ibanez seven string guitars where the, the strings were meant to be the high strings were meant to be the extra string. 
and they added a low string and then just took these huge leaps in, of, of down tuning and just created this whole other sound. You know, Steve I, you, you know, didn't create the seven string as we know, but he certainly popularized it in the rock community. Mm-hmm. He talks about pulling the car over when he hears uh, and when he hears corn for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he pulls the car over because he was that blown away. He's like, that's super, super heavy. So, was that the first thing that kind of drew you in? It was the heaviness. But then what about Jonathan's vocals? Because they were just as kind of groundbreaking as well. He was almost rapping, almost kind of vocalizations like Mike Patton and stuff. It was all a, a beautiful mix, wasn't it? Oh, man, dude. I could I could literally talk your head off all fucking day about <laughs> Jonathan Davis. Jonathan Davis is the absolute reason why I'm even sitting here talking to you right now. Um, mm. I, I can't... Uh, I think the moment that I think I was like mesmerized the most was when i think when i heard life is peachy the nice. when uh when twist first came in like uh like like i mean you kind of hit the hammer on the nail with that i was just like what the hell is this and i even going back to another point you made earlier something about it being taboo or something about it not necessarily being like a popular thing because at the time you know i'm still in school and all the kids are listening to backstreet boys and in sync and all this other stuff that's going on britney spears and I had just got into this band and you play a song like twist in front of those kids. You're like, what is that? Like, they're going to make fun of you. Like I used to get ridiculed a lot for, for liking corn, but like the Mm. fact that my parents were against it, the fact that the kids were against it, it just made me fucking love it even more. So there is a little bit of like Mm. a a chip that comes to that, but yeah, man, I don't know. It's just, they, they, they did this wonderful thing corn of, and they talked a lot of the subject matter was taboo and stuff. It was, a, yeah. you know, I mean, Ross Robinson, when he was producing it, you know, famously and the same with Slipknot would, would push the vocalists like to, yes. to the point of tears, you know, absolutely. you, you, you have to, and, absolutely. and some would argue that was a good or a bad thing, but ultimately what it did is it made those, someone like Jonathan Davis, who was bullied, he was bullied and he, and he had a really hard time and he had a, a, all kinds of issues and abusive, uh, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff going on. And he somehow turned that, that into an empowerment thing. So, people, you know, there was people who listened to that going, you know, I've my life's not great, but I'll listen to that, and and, and I'm empowered by that. And it was Absolutely. a wonderful shift from the, the rock music of, like, say, the 80s to 90s was all about, look how beautiful mm-hmm. I am, look how great I am, look how That's big my true. hair is, that type of thing. And it shifted to this, like, listen, I'm fucked up. I'm like you, I'm fucked up, but look, I'm turning this to my uh, power. I'm going to get some strength from this and it's not going to beat me. And it was this wonderful metal is, is always empowering, but it became empowering from a different route. And that was really what interested me about corn. And I, then I imagined like it did for me, for yourself, then you just fell down Absolutely. a rabbit hole. Oh, and then, yeah. you know, you would have found like the Deftones and all these other mm-hmm. great bands off, off the back of that. Yeah. So did you, oh, yeah. it started with corn, but then what did you start to go into listening then at which, which routes did you take? So um, once I got into Corn, a little bit after that, obviously, I uh, came across Slipknot. Uh, Mudvayne was another big band that I was really into. Uh, I still I still love Mudvayne. Um, uh, Deftones, of course. Uh, once I got into high school, though, um, I started watching a lot of the, um, you know, the, the Jackass, the Viva La Bam, the CKY skate videos. So I kind of like I, I've never really left any genre of music that i love I, I still listen the same bands that i listen to i when i grew up i still listen to to this day i think my my taste has just expanded but in high school i started getting into cky cky was one of my still is one of my favorite rock bands ever and uh the lead singer darren miller is actually a really big metalhead 
So mm-hmm. it was because of him that I got to discover all these amazing death metal bands. I got to discover Death. I got to discover Cynic, uh, Gorguts, uh, Malovent Creation, uh, all these amazing death metal bands, even like some of these old school ones like Dayside bands that like I used to hear of, but I never really gave a shot. And now like I'm once again, dude, I, I fucking love death metal. Cannibal Corpse is one of my favorite bands as well. Yeah. So like it kind of just opened my it just opened me up to like all this other different kind of music. Um, and then after that, I kind of got into um, like the Chariot, Norma Jean, Under Oath. Obviously, Metalcore was kind of booming at that point. So bands like Killswitch Engage, Lamb of God, all those bands were really hitting a big Shadows Fall. So, you know, we were all just kind of just like taken from all of those bands. And um, I started kind of digging a little deeper, like the Dillinger Escape Plan. I love the Dillinger Escape Plan. That's still one of my favorite bands to this day. Uh, Mastodon, um, just kind of just all over the place, man. Um, just a lot of different stuff. But yeah, I think high school, I really credit with like really expanding to different stuff that I never thought I would listen to before. So mm-hmm. I think after that, that's kind of just what opened me up to, you know, the more experimental stuff as I got older. So, yeah. Did you did you start going to see any of these bands live then? Because I imagine Texas and Austin was pretty much on a on a tour cycle for every band, you oh, know, would want to oh, play ba- there. There were so many bands. I was always so jealous of kids in high school that they would go their parents would let them go to Corpus Christi the night before and go catch Lamb of God and Slipknot. Uh, that was back when they were doing the Subliminal Versus tour. Oh, I was so jealous of stuff like that because, I don't know, my mom was real restrictive on things like that. And I didn't even have a car until I was like fucking 18. So like, it, like you know, I really couldn't go out and do much. But um, the first concert I actually went to was CKY and Avenged Sevenfold. Uh, it was in Corpus Christi at the Concrete Street. Uh, I think this was like 2005. And that that changed my whole that changed everything, man, because CKY were the openers, but they were hanging out before with the with with the with their fans. And then literally as soon as they got done playing, they like gave their instruments to the tech guys and they literally got off the stage and just ran into the crowd and just started hanging out. And they hung out with the crowd the rest of the night. And that was my first concert experience, hanging out with Darren Miller, hanging out with Chad Ginsburg, and they're just sitting there just talking to everybody. It was so fucking amazing dude i was on it's, such it's a very high cool when it, when it when a band does that because subliminally and they probably realize they're doing it but they, if they don't do it's subliminal that, that they're basically saying listen you're just like us you know yeah. if you get us some songs together you, you can you can do this this isn't unattainable you know yeah. um I, I, every time i've seen cky i've got a few friends who work with them as well they've just been super nice guys who were like you know look we play in a band but you know you can do this, you know, uh, you know, you can play in a band too. And I imagine that instilled some seeds in you that you were like, you know oh, what, yeah. I'm going to start to get my own band together here because mm-hmm. I, it can, it is attainable. It is something that, that I can actually do. Oh yeah. Did, did you start thinking about playing with other people in a band? Yeah, man. I mean, ever since, ever, ever since I discovered Corn, and ever since, honestly, ever since I watched the who the now home video from Corn. And I saw Jonathan Davis in the vocal booth. I was like, that's what I'm going to fucking do. Like, I knew, like, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But um, at the time, I, I was I was in a really small town. And, you know, in really small towns, you're lucky if you even find another person that wants to play music, let alone two or three other people. But um, around high school, I ended up moving. Uh, I ended up moving back in with my mom. And we moved to, like, a little bit of a bigger town. There was more kids. So... Um, once high school, once high school came up or whatever, uh, it wasn't even, like, I, I would try to mingle with other kids and try to get something going, but nothing ever really took. But the thing was, is that around 2003, I, that was when I kind of just started going for it. Like vocally, 
I would just put on a I would just put on an album and I would just kind of try to mimic or imitate what was going on. And that was kind of what started my whole screaming process, really. And then every day I would just come home from school and I would just practice and practice and practice like I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to be a fucking I'm going to be I'm going to be in a band. Somehow I'm going to make it happen. So I always had it in me. I think it was just a matter of just trying to find the right people. And I don't think it was until like probably I have to say maybe my junior year in high school. I actually was lucky enough to find two or three other people that were like everything just kind of like lined up just right. They two of them were leaving a band. One of them was wanting to start a band and everything just kind of worked out the way it did. So that was kind of my first reincarnation or my first incarnation of doing something like that. And what was that first band called? I've got a real thing for finding out people's first bands. Like what were they called? The first band? Oh, oh it's harsh. Uh, it was a uh, cut off midway. Cut, cut off midway. Cut off midway. Yeah. That's kind of, it's all right. That's not it bad. Was, no, that's it's not, not bad. A ba- it, it, it's a, it's a cool name. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, I, but yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the hard <laughs> thing is that we were like, every time we would tell people, they're like, what does that mean? We're like, I don't know. Like, like how, how can you start an interview with like your band name? Like, Oh, well, what was the inspiration behind the name? I don't know. I just, you yeah, know, yeah. it's all midway and like cut off midway. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it was, it was fun, man. We had, we had a, we had a blast and I still, I still look back on those. Well, okay. So the way it ended didn't end so well, but that being said, you know, I'm not a bitter person about anything. And I look back on that time in my life. It's just me learning what not to do and you know you make mistakes along the way but like I had so much fun dude I mean that was me playing in front of people for the first time actually loading up the excuse, loading up the the van to go play a gig out of town uh late nights coming home uh feeling sore the next day learning your technique on how to perform live uh how to pace yourself like that's where I learned all of that so I don't look back on with regret yeah, but yeah. yeah, man, it was, it was, it was a crazy time, man. You remember, was, was do you remember, your, do you remember your first show? Yes, actually, um, funny enough, I, uh, I, don't, I really shouldn't be saying this, but fuck it. Uh, <laughs> we actually filmed it and we actually still have the set on, live on YouTube. <laughs> I'm you not going to prov- watch it back. You dare watch it back. <laughs> I cringe, dude. I fucking cringe. I, I blew my voice out. I think after the second song, oh, yeah, it was yeah. so bad. It was so yeah. bad. And yeah, I mean, but yeah, it was fun. It, I mean, like I said, I look back on it just like, I mean, we had the place. I mean, it was a small little, you know, small little dive bar yeah. or whatever, but we had the place packed out. Everyone was there and I, I'll never forget that. Just just mm. the moment they handed me the mic and I was like, let's go. And yeah, yeah. man, it was it was an experience. It really yeah. was. People people forget that as well. Certainly some people are not unfamiliar with the genre that they think, well, it's just screaming. It's you just screaming for three minutes. Okay, well, Dealt with that, if, yeah. if, if that is what you believe, uh, try screaming for three minutes, then stop. Then try screaming yep. for another three minutes. If you get past four songs without your voice mm-hmm. going, yeah, you win. So yeah. You have to learn to kind of develop muscles and, and develop, you know, techniques to, to, to yeah. kind of do that, especially if you're doing like 10 songs and you're doing, you know, the set one night, the set the next night. You know, you can't just, you know, you have to warm up. And, and, and what you were doing was learning your trade so to speak so that you didn't blow your yeah. voice three songs in four songs in and so then did you did you venture out of state at this point it was was this all kind of close by these shows or did you go a bit try to do a bit of traveling as well 
Uh, we did a little bit of traveling. Uh, fortunately, never out of state, but uh, we did play. Uh, I mean, throughout all the years and all the bands I played with, uh, I played just about all the big cities in Texas, other than El Paso, probably. But yeah, I've been a little bit everywhere. Um, uh, with the first band, we only played, I want to say, uh, Corpus Christi, which is about an hour and a half away. Uh, it wasn't until I joined um, probably the third band, which is the band I'm still currently working with, Count Your Dead, uh, badass metal band out of South Texas. Um, been playing with those guys for a while now, but those guys go everywhere. Those guys, uh, before I even joined the group, they were already touring out of state. They've, they've done a few out of state tours. Uh, they played with the, some pretty great bands, um, some notable acts. Um, but since I joined with those guys, I mean, we played, I mean, Austin, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, I mean, even like some in between, uh, small little places. I mean, just wherever we could get it, man. Um, so like, I feel like it's in a way it's kind of interesting because one band I'm involved in is more of a live band than a studio band. Yeah. And the other one is more of a studio band than a live band. So it kind of like, it kind of balances itself out mm. in this weird kind of way, but yeah, yeah you, it's, can, uh, you can look after both sides of your chops. You can look after your yeah. live side and, and in Absolutely. the studio. Yeah. So, true, I mean, yeah. that's probably the first thing we, we, we need to kind of explore a little bit is that, ladies and gentlemen, you know, uh, Trey's based in, in, in Texas and it, Texas is fucking huge. You know, anybody that's ever been oh, through, yeah. or, it's massive. You know, you, it, it's a huge state. And, you know, whereas like, you know, the UK, you, you, you can do a whole tour of the UK, you can do a whole tour of, of Texas. It's, most oh, yeah. of the states are oh, yeah. huge and it requires like several hours to cross states and several hours to, mm -hmm. to go into places you can you can happily tour around for weeks before you oh, repeated yeah. the place again absolutely um, yeah so uh, when when did when did sincere kind of come into the picture then so um this is what's kind of interesting about our story so cameron my other half me and cameron have actually been friends since high school uh i met him i knew i met him like freshman year I didn't really talk to him. It wasn't probably until about sophomore year that we started talking, but he, he, uh, he picked up guitar a little bit after that. And I almost I always feel like every time he, like he, he picks up a guitar, he just creates something magical. Like, like he's just got some natural gift with the guitar. And um, I was always a fan of his, I was always a fan of his playing and all three bands that I've been involved in. I've, I've tried to get him and, you know, included in the mix somehow because i've always i've always wanted to work with him i've always wanted to play with him and for whatever reason it just never worked out and and then after i want to say it was like around 2010 2011 i was kind of like kind of at a crossroads in my life and uh um my girlfriend was getting ready to move to san marcus and she had just got accepted to texas state so i kind of was left at this decision like do i want to go and start a new life and try to start something new or do I want to try and pursue this? So I ended up uh, moving to San Marcos and I wanted to go to school for audio engineering and I wanted to start a brand new project. So for like the next five or six years, man, it was me just kind of just getting rejected by everybody. I kind of had, had a few demos in mind. I kind of had this, this idea of where I wanted to go with it. And I'm, I think I rent, I it was like three different drummers, uh, just never worked out two of them just said no right off the bat the other one uh we jammed actually for a couple of different times and it just never panned out and then just lo and behold man one day summer 2015 um cameron sends me a demo 
and at the time I'm kind of like in a real low point in my life, you know, things are kind of, things just really aren't good. And that song was kind of just what pulled me out of the funk. Um, like within 30 minutes, man, I set up a microphone. I tracked some parts to it and it's like they say, man, the rest is history. We have been writing music ever since then. So it's just kind of this thing that just kind of naturally evolved into what it was. It was never, ever intended. It was never, ever intended. It's just something that organically happened. And I think that's why it's, that's why it's had the effect on people is because it's just real. I mean, in its own, in its own way, it's real genuine. It's honest. And, you know, we're not trying to fool anybody. We are who we are. And kind of going back to like, like corn is like, I mean, you know, we, we're not going to polish any shit up or make anything sound like this is, this is who the fuck we are, you know, and accept us for who we are. What was, what was that song that he sent you? What would, what did that end up becoming? Uh, the name of the song was nameless and actually uh, we never did officially release it, but it is still available on the SoundCloud page. So if uh, anyone wants to go check us out on <laughs> SoundCloud, I mean, you can go hear a shitty demo. I mean, it's not shitty. <laughs> It's, it's historically shitty. important. It's historically it's, important. It's <laughs> shitty in quality. Uh, the song itself, man, is a it's a really great song. I, I, I was really proud of that one. And I think that was kind of where the spark kind of started, man, because we did. I want to say like I want to say we did about like seven or eight different demos before we officially put out an EP. And mm. the EP thing was kind of just like. At the time, I had another project that I was involved in, another studio project, and it kind of just, you know, fell flatter than a plate full of piss. So uh, the, the, the way I was looking at it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to let that be what people remember me by. I'm going to, if I'm going to put something out, I'm going to put something out that I'm fucking proud of. Yeah. So that's whenever we put out Echoes of Eternity, our first EP. Yeah. And that was just kind of what got the ball rolling, man. And the response to that was just well, like, what really? Like you guys really like this? Like, dude, it's fucking good. Like keep going. We're like, all right, let's keep going. So like, we just, we've been writing music, man, ever since together. And it's been by far one of the best songwriting relationships I've ever had with anybody. So I'm so honored and proud to be a part of this. Cam's a, a great player. That riff on damage is, is fucking brutal. That's it's, oh, I'll put, I will put some links, ladies and gentlemen, obviously to, to, to sincere and some bits and pieces, but um, listening through on, on uh, the back hats, like what's interesting is it's very, it's very, and any listener will get this, is it's very clear that you are both learning as you're moving forward, which is interesting because normally in a band, um, maybe only one person at a band matures and, and it becomes quite jarring that the other members of the band don't kind of want to move in certain directions and you can feel that pull. But with you and Cam, I think, yeah, I think it's a really good writing partnership. You can see it move on. You can see it where there's a progression, you know, uh, to, like then you get to like come and get it and stuff like that, which is you, you can hear that the the route that you took together to get that. I think that's really special. And I think what you're showing is a, an extremely modern approach to, to producing music. So way back like 10, 20 years ago, maybe even longer is there was always that you were in one band. That was it. You, you played in that band and nothing else. You, you did, you did a studio, you did a tour, you went back in the studio and it was, that was it. And it was this really confined situation and it caused a lot of bands a lot of problems. You know, famous bands like Metallica had a, a, a ton of problems when Jason turns around and goes, I want to do a separate project. And that became a, a real bone of contention. And then now, because we've moved in the age where you can remotely record, remotely practice, you know, none of, location doesn't become a, 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 a problem. 
And things like being able to record in, in a very small space with a laptop or even a phone you can record stuff with now removes a lot of the, the, the things, a lot of the problems, the barriers to making music. So now you can make it any way you want with anybody you want. So because of that, rather than that being a confinement of being, of being too many options, it actually becomes this wonderful situation if you go, and like you said, I'm only going to put out things that I really enjoy. And if mm-hmm. I don't like it, I won't put that out. I'll only put things out that I think are, is really fucking good. And, mm-hmm. and that's a really nice place to be. The first guy I saw, I remember doing, doing anything like that was Mike Patton. Mike Patton oh, would do, Pave No More was obviously the first time I see Mike Patton. But then it's like, what's, what's Mr. Bungle? And, and what's Tomahawk? Oh what, man, that was a beautiful day this? discovering those guys. Yeah, yeah, and and, I, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. then I realized that you know these are human. He's a human being, and sometimes he feels like this, and sometimes he feels like that. And so you can't always put that in the, in the one thing. And I think that if there's anything that we've got from the modern age of recording and and how that happens is now that now that all the chains are off, we're getting to see some really creative stuff. I think you know what you started with with sincere isn't what it is now. Yeah, and it's a wonderful evolution, um, certainly with the with the with the new uh, work that you put out as well. Did you um, did you have a, a? I guess you didn't. You didn't have a, a finishing point here. You were just like, we're just going to keep playing and, and like see what people like and what we like. And that's that's probably why it sounds so great at the end because it's there's absolutely no pretension to it. You're not going. We want to write a hit, or we want to write this, or we want to write that. And isn't that where all the best music comes from? Absolutely, man. It's it's an interesting thing too because all of the other projects that I've tried to get going, like I've been, I was so persistent about. Like my second band, I I tried to book us anywhere. I tried to, I tried to make things happen. And I think that that was kind of the crazy thing is that with sincere, for the first time, I stopped trying. And I think because of that, it, it's it's such a weird thing, man. But I feel like because we we don't hold any restraints on this, like I don't, we don't give it, we don't give ourselves deadlines, we don't force anything. I think that is why it's so much more natural. And I think, like you said, that's why so many so many more people can attach themselves to it because it's it's just genuine, you know. It's not we're not putting on airs, you know. Like, and if like like you said, if there is anything that we're not comfortable, if there's this is a 50-50 partnership, man. Uh, if, if he's not happy with something or if I'm not happy with something, we're not going to put it out. It has to be 100%. Like, this is what we're both set on doing. Let's go for it. And yeah, man, it's it's a really beautiful thing. I feel like we really do bring out the best in each other and we really balance each other out. And I think we inspire each other in a way because the the music that you hear from Cameron, man, not just the guitar, the drums are programmed by him. The bass is played by him. The way he adds in all these different little nuances, it's all him man. all the music is him. So he'll send me these full fledged songs. And I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) He he sees how pumped I am. So then I want to deliver on the vocals. So I go in there and I try and kill it. And then I'll send him a mix with the vocals and he's like holy shit dude like he gets he gets so like it's this <laughs> way of like should sort of, be right that's how it yeah. should be yeah so like it's like we're we're constantly motivating each other to keep you know to stay on our toes and i think the fact that we have so many people now that are going to bat for us people giving us shout outs on like all these platforms oh man like it just makes us want to work harder and go you know keep going the distance so yeah man it's 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 an exciting time I think, I think, ladies and gentlemen, when you listen to to the music, the the, the trace producing, you will see that thing that you can't really buy, 
and you can't it's it's that sort of genuine quality where it's like it's very clear that the people who make this music really enjoy doing it and you can't buy that you can't manufacture or force it you see that's why it comes across so well i mean so is the newest thing um silent convictions is that the newest thing uh yes that's the latest uh, release uh, yeah is that is that a longer form version of something previous i was trying to kind of figure out what that was yeah. So it's the, actually the uh, special edition version of Silent Convictions. So in uh, 2018, right after we released Echoes of Eternity, uh, we, we released two more EPs that year, uh, Silent Convictions and Patch Me Up. So this year, uh, I was kind of like looking back on everything and, you know, our um, our production has evolved quite a bit since, you know, since we originally started. So I was kind of just like looking at them like, like, I just, I'm I'm very pleased with the way we wrote those those eps but i wasn't pleased with the way they sounded i'm like it's not to me it's not the impression i want to leave on people so like it was kind of a way of sort of like bringing it back but also like like final like this is it like this is this is the way this is what you were supposed to hear when we put these out but obviously at the time you know we were still like you said we were still learning we were still kind of we were still cutting our teeth you know because i think um i i feel like i had a really good mixing and editing you know regime down but i i mean i didn't know shit about post-production man i didn't know i knew fuck all about mastering about how certain things are how certain uh sonics are supposed to sound how things are supposed to hum in your car or in your earphones like you know like all these different little things that you don't think about until they're not there so after all these years of learning all of these things uh now we can finally put all of this knowledge to use and really put out these songs the way you were supposed to hear them. So Silent Convictions is um, uh, this, this one actually is very special to me too, because um, this was kind of the, this was kind of the record where like I, uh, I had to admit to myself, like I need help. Like I'm, if I don't do something, I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like I gotta, I gotta get help. So like, mm -hmm. it was kind of like me going through that process of like, you know, finally looking under the rock, you know, finally like looking at yourself in the mirror and admitting what was wrong about you and shit and kind of admitting it to yourself. So that was why it was such a special thing to me. And I think that's why I really wanted to put it out like in this format. So that way you could really understand and feel what it was that I was trying to explain, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, but yeah, uh, we also have patch me up coming out. That one will be out in December. And um, I think we're probably going to, Put out one more for vicious cycles which was our ep that we we released the following year and i think kind of going back to what we were talking about the reason why another reason why i wanted to do the special edition was because i loved going to i loved whenever a band would put out an album and they would put out an expanded edition or a special edition yeah. and it would come with like a bonus dvd or it would come with like bonus tracks live songs acoustic songs like unreleased songs like i was a big fan of shit like that so I feel like a lot of the stuff that I grew up enjoying about records, I tried to incorporate into our stuff. That's why uh, I'll do remixes on occasion. Um, we'll put out acoustic songs on occasion. And I think once we start playing live, we will put out live songs on occasion. So it's, it's just a matter of getting everything going, but. I think it's uh, interesting that you, we, we, we often, we on the show, we talk to people about their influences, not rightly so. We talk about albums and artists that, that, that have shaped the way they approach things, but I suppose there's obviously those the approaches coming to every form. It's like how they release yeah. songs, what they release as well. It's everything, isn't it? You know, you, if you're a fan of like Jonathan Davis, for example, it's yes, you're a fan of the music, but 
the moves that the guy makes and the things that he does, you'll be like, okay, well, I, I, I'll do that. And I like the things. Of course, why wouldn't you? It makes complete sense to me. I also think it's a, certainly listening to Silent Convictions today uh, in the last couple of days, I thought it was incredibly brave, the, the, the approach to some to stuff there, because often we know we know now it's bullshit, but we know that you know keeping all those feelings inside and not going, listen, I'm having some problems dealing with some things and, I've, and, and I'm not doing... That's a very unfortunate side of what metal was, where yeah. it was like, no, 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 you must project this uh, thing of being powerful and 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 man on a mountain and and huge sort of you know presence and no problems, no weakness, you know. No, and now you know, maybe that was started with the likes of Corn and Jonathan Davis being open about things, open about the problems be, yeah. that they were dealing with mentally. And it's and it's now it seems to be a lot easier, certainly amongst the metal community, when people go, you know what, I have a problem with this, I have a problem with some things going on. I mean, for the first guy for me was, was, was Hetfield when he started to admit that he had, he had drinking problems and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, Hetfield's like this was, was my guys. And now he's saying it's, you know, he's got some problems and it's like, okay, well, if I have these problems now, it's, it's okay to talk about them. Right. Because he's talking about them as well. And so I can totally see where you were coming from, from that, but it's still an incredibly brave thing to do because music is, is, if there's ever the most sincerest form Put intended of wearing <laughs> your heart on your sleeve. It's music, yeah. isn't it? Because it is. It is you and a microphone. There's nothing in the way. It's you know. It's total projection, and that's an incredibly, um, incredibly brave thing to do. Thank you, man. I appreciate you saying that. And it 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 it, it really wasn't until sincere, man, that the light bulb went off. Because I mean, you hear you hear these cliches when it comes to writing, songwriting, and things like that. Put what you're feeling into the you know, into the music or you know put it down on paper blah 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 mm. but it really wasn't until sincere man that i really i really figured out how to do that because all the years prior when i would write i would try to you know i would try to put on i would try to put on airs i would try to sound artsy farty or i would try to sound abstract or i would just try to be something that i wasn't and i think that when it came to sincere i was like i don't give a fuck what people i don't i don't care if this doesn't rhyme i don't care if this isn't a clever line this is how i fucking feel right now this is what i'm gonna say Mm -hmm. and i think because of that that's another reason why people were able to relate to it so much easier because it was it was straight from the heart man i wasn't i wasn't bullshitting with anything so it wasn't until i it wasn't until that that was like that's it that's and ever since then, man, this has been my therapy. This has been what I, when I'm hurting, when bad things go on in my life, this is what I, this is what I go to. And more often than not, man, Cameron has a song ready for me every time some shit goes down. And in a way it's, it's kind of helped me like heal and get through a lot of the grief that I've, you know, suffered a lot of, you know, the past few years. So yeah, man, I, I'm so grateful to be a part of this. One of the amazing things about music, Trey, uh, I'm sure you'll agree is that, um, it is healing. There is a healing power to it. You, you, everything from a bad day in the office and coming home and listen to a, a tune that makes you happy to listen to a song before you go to work and making you yeah. pumped up for it. A song that you remember someone who's passed away by. But it also, the beautiful thing that happens, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, Trader, but the music that you produce will help someone else. How amazing is that? That you listen to something, get inspired to go, well, I'm going to be dead honest. I'm going to be full tell exactly how I feel that someone else will hear that and go, you know what? I can do that. I can be open. I can, you know, that's, it's, it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to start dealing with it. That's incredibly powerful. That, you know, that's a very, very powerful thing to have, you know, and music of any genre has that. And I think metal now is becoming that 
where it, it, it is allowing a vulnerability and it's not seen as a weakness. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Oh, it's beautiful, man. And I think that's another thing that really, really keeps us going. Uh, I remember specifically one day I was coming home from work and I don't know why you just, you know, sometimes you get in your head and you just start thinking about nothing I'm doing is worthwhile. Like, what am I, who am I kidding myself? Nobody gives a fuck, blah, blah, blah. And I came home and I checked uh, our messages and someone said, someone sent me a message and they said, Said, I just want to let you know that your song Ambivalent is really badass. I've been listening to it all week. It's been getting me through a lot right now. I just went through a really painful breakup. This really, really is speaking to me. Thank you so much. And man, it just changed yeah. everything. And just even just even thinking about it now, man, it gives me chills. It's just like, wow, I, I can't believe like something I wrote. Like it's it's like you said, man, like there was there was a thing I remember because um, I'm a I'm a pro wrestling nerd too. So um, I remember when Mick Foley said that he saw um, Superfly Snuka like jump off the top of the cage, and how all the people like went crazy. And he was like, he's like, I remember that feeling, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to make people feel the same way that I feel right now. And when I when I would watch Jonathan Davis, man, when I would see him recording "Kill You," or when I would hear "Daddy," and you just hear the the emotion is like, I want to make someone feel the way that he's making me feel right now. Yeah. So the fact that I can even, the fact that I even touched anybody soul, man, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so fucking honored. And it's I'm fucking so awesome, isn't it? Yeah. That's it's amazing. An, it's an amazing part of music that it's, Ooh, a, it's a, there's no so other powerful. real medium like music that hits as hard as that. Like, I think it's, I think it's, it's so fantastic. Yeah, so, man. I mean, for, for the listeners, uh, to, let's give a little bit of a sort of, I mean, Austin, are you based in Austin now or close by? So uh, Cameron actually lives in Austin. He's, oh, right, right. Lived in, he's lived in Austin, I think, now for like the last like 12 years. Um, I've been living in San Marcos, which is about uh, about like 30, 35 miles away. It's not well, far, he lives, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not that far, but. Because is, isn't Austin known as the live music capital of the world? Is that right? Is that what they say they are? They, ha- they have a couple of different scenes. So, uh, <laughs> yes, that is one. Um, Another one, another infamous one from what I've heard is um, Austin, Texas, where bands come to die because wow. because because there is that that perception of it's the music capital of the world. You have mm. musicians coming from all over the world to come and try and break it big here. But mm. see, you got to understand, too, that's the problem is that, yes, you're you may be an amazing guitarist, but there's also 25 other amazing guitarists. You may be an amazing drummer, but there's there may be 30 amazing drummers and you're and not just in your genre and all genres. Mm. So you got to kind of look at it like that. So like what makes you stand out from all of these other amazing acts? So after a while, some of these bands like lose momentum or they're not they don't make the right moves. And more often than not, after two or three years, they either fizzle out or they move on to something else or they start another project. It just it never the that whole perception is. I don't know, man. It's and I've been away from it for a while. I'm not gonna lie, so I, I can't really speak to the current environment and what it's like. But I was always out. I was always more about just leaving wherever you go, wherever wherever you're playing. If you can just make one new fan, if you can just leave a strong impression with one person, I mean, I feel like that's all you can really hope for because. I mean, there's so many bands, man, especially now, man, there's such an oversaturation and it's, I'm not complaining, but it's just like, there's so many bands, there's so many metal bands, there's so many hardcore bands. It's like, you've got to kind of have, you kind of have to stand out. You kind of have to stick out in someone's memory, even if it's just like, oh, the way, 
he was rocking harder than all these other guys, you know, even if it's just something little subtle like that, like, I feel like you just gotta, you kind of have to be as authentic as you can. And hopefully it will resonate with somebody. And I mean, I think that's all you can really hope for, especially now with the attention span being that it is, man. I mean, because a lot of, a lot of the listeners that maybe I've never been to the U S or Texas or whatever, will think of Texas and think of, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and ZZ Top and the blues based off and then country, you know, all the oh, way yeah. back to the seventies. And yes, there are a smattering of, of, of metal bands, but it wasn't what it was known for. And then, you know, recently you've got like Austin City Limits and South by Southwest, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know, um, sort of indie-based type of thing and, and that type of thing. And it just seems like, like you say, it seems to be like maybe an oversaturation. It's just just too much noise. There's too many bands. Um, yeah. And often some of the, on some of the, to some of the people that we've talked to, with on the show in other countries, there's no scene, so there's no scene, there's nowhere to play, and that's bad, but it can also, it sounds like, be equally as bad if there is too much, if there's just too much Absolutely. noise, everybody mm-hmm. gets lost in the shuffle. Is that the yeah. same? So I know that is, there's quite a good hardcore scene around there, isn't it? It isn't too bad. Is it the oh, same yeah. for metal? Yeah, man. I mean, there's, like I said, there's, there's a lot of, well, so, <laughs> like I said, it's been a while since I played in Austin, so I can't really speak to now. But from when I last played, which was a couple of years ago, there was a great flow of thrash metal bands. There's a great flow of hardcore metalcore. I mean, yeah, I mean all the all the subgenres, de- deathcore, you know, mathcore, everything. There was there was a re- really great doom metal band. Uh, I can't even remember their names, but uh, we played a few shows with them. But yeah, man, I mean, you you do have those bands that I mean, you still have like um, you still have like some uh, killer cover bands. Like there was this really amazing. Uh, a Metallica a Metallica cover band called Kill 'Em All, but it was spelled like it was a play on words, but it was it was really cool. But I mean, you really did have like a, a big array, wide array of of genres down there, man. So like, I mean, it was it was never about like them not being talented enough. There's so many fucking talented musicians in Austin. I mean, I think anybody will tell you that. But yeah, it's just I I, I just think it more than the live scene, man. It's just like I said, it's just the current climate, man. I mean if you have less than a thousand listeners on Spotify, most people don't give a shit. So you kind of have to like, you kind of have to think of something, think of some innovative way to kind of get yourself noticed. And some, I mean, live, live music is obviously a great way to do it. Merch is a great way to do it. But I think you're also seeing uh, a lot of bands like flow to like uh, to Twitch live to do live performances, or, you know, they do little bits on TikTok or, They'll make, um, you know, daily posts on Instagram, sort of like, you know, giving little clips of their music. So there's all these different ways to sort of get your get your stuff out there. But, yeah, it's just uh, as of now, I mean, I, I really don't know as far as live performance goes. It, it, so. it, here's, here's a question. It's probably probably quite a big question. But I suppose does it does it matter anymore where you're from? So you're Southern Texas and you know, th- that would have had or has a sound all its own in the same way mm-hmm. that a, a, a band from California will sound differently to a band from Colorado. You know, there are, but does it, is it as much of a factor anymore? You know, could you hear, can you hear a band and go Southern Texas, you know, or even from, you know, a city, you know, are they, it's clear they're from Northern Texas. So can you hear that now? Does it even make a difference anymore? Uh, in the abstract, I would say probably, yeah, but, when you break it down and I don't really think so because um, I don't know. Well, it's interesting because bands like bands like us, they, it's kind of like a niche sort of genre, you know, um, you kind of have to listen to a certain, certain kind, certain kind of metal bands to even 
think we are good or anything like that. And the thing I've noticed is that we've gotten better reception from people out of our country than we ever here in the States. I mean, we've, we still have people from Australia sending us messages. Like we still listen to your stuff, like all the time, like, keep it up. You're doing great. So I don't know, man. I don't really know if it does because I feel like we, there's bands that I listen to that are from, from Alabama or from Colorado and they're just straight up fucking dirty, hardcore, like just killers, man. These guys are amazing. And they don't have like a certain, they just sound like heavy to me. Mm. There's this, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this band. Uh, they're from, from San Antonio called upon a burning body. Yes. But, but I mean, like you, that's a, to me, that's a great example. It's like, I mean, you, you can think of Janis Joplin or you can think of Stevie Ray Vaughan and yeah, of course, but mm. you look at upon a burning body, that band could be from any fucking state that could be from yeah. any country. Like it's got that universal appeal to it in that way. So I, I don't, I don't know if it it's, really it's, it's hard, matters it? at this point anymore. What used to happen, what used to happen was that a band would play within their local community. They would play bars, then they would play the small clubs and they would mm. only sort of travel around the state, occasionally going out of state and they would travel around. And they would take in basically all the flavors of that particular sort of play and of that style of, of Southern rock or whatever it may be. And then they would go out of state and go like on the East coast or whatever. and would stand out because they had a sound that didn't sound like the things right. because they would That's move point, yeah. from, from States. But then obviously the internet exists now. So everybody's listening to everything all the time. And it's like mm -hmm. that. It's I wonder if that like, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. You've got a band like Pantera, whose album then gets brought out, Cowboys from Hell. Now yeah. that's because they're of where they're from. That's because of mm -hmm. their, you know, they the that they're wearing a that's heart on the sleeves, as to say, you know, that's out there. Would we have got that previously? You know, would anybody have cared that they were from 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 Dallas? You know, it's like it's that's you know, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? I don't I, it I is, don't know yeah. if there's an answer to that, but I think that. Yeah. We may have lost something of the of the flavor of, of 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 where a band is from. Sometimes I think now it's more it's more uh, country based, and by that yeah. I mean like uh, a band from uh, Japan versus a band from Germany. You can hear the the, the different sort of eclectic yeah. parts of their sound. And like you say, uh, America now it's uh, you know you can still hear regional differences, but I think they're getting blurred now. I think they're getting a little bit blurred. I don't necessarily think that's a good or a bad thing, but it's interesting yeah. to see how, how it plays out. So, right. in terms of like the festivals, then uh, uh, what sort of metal festivals take place in Texas? I'm trying to think of some that you can think of. There's, there's, there's. I'm not. I know there's a couple. Um, like obviously ACL and South by, like we were talking about. Uh, mm. But besides that. Um, it really just depends on what bands are kind of going around because, you know, you'll have the every now and then you would have the Rockstar Mayhem Festival or the Monster. You, you would have these energy drink companies kind of sponsor like these big festivals with like 10 different bands on the lineup. And you have like a side stage and then you have the main stage, things like that. But as of late, I, I honestly don't know. Man. I think obviously with COVID, too, I think that really hindered a lot of those festivals because we are ha we still do have live concerts and venues around here and i think i want to say acl fest is coming up pretty soon so i know as far as i know that's still going off without hitch so it's it's i think it's just more limited now and i think also too i think it just kind of coincides with with it's it's weird because i've noticed that with with other countries when you look at their festivals it's a big 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 um pool of like 
different bands not even necessarily in the same genre just all across because people don't look at music the same way as like americans the americans everyone wants something cut in a certain category or a certain subcategory and no this band shouldn't be playing with this band what the hell why is that band on the bill with that band that makes no sense blah 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 and i just i don't know i think because of that now you have festivals that are just more I don't know, not, I don't want to say hipster based, but you know, just whatever's in right now or whatever's going to sell or whatever's going to make people come to the show. Like that's what they're more, they're less, they're less inclined to take risks now. If, in what, my one opinion. of the things that, uh, that that's both bad and good for in America is you obviously have enormous stadiums and the huge mm-hmm. stadiums and a few things that obviously sometimes for, for sports events, but obviously get uh, used for, uh, for music. And you yeah. also have uh, obviously bars and, and uh, the same as everybody else. But how's it work for like? You still have curfews and noise controls and things like that in in, in Texas because the, a lot of these bars are kind of not in the center, are they? Not they're kind of out, out the way and stuff. How's that work? It really just depends on the area you go to, man. There's some there's some bars that are more enforcing about it, or they're more cautious. And you have others that just flat out don't give a fuck, and they they kind of like look at you weird if you are, you know, following protocol or whatever, but you know, it's, um, that's the thing about Texas, man. It's, it's a, you have all kinds of characters here. Uh, you've, you, you look at Austin, it's one of the most liberal cities you'll go to, but if you go to any small town, it's, it's conservative as hell and everyone's, everyone's set in their ways. So like, I mean, you have, a, you have all kinds of characters, man. So, uh, it's, um, uh over here right now um everything's pretty much back to normal as far as like curfew and things like that they're not really uh bar i think the only thing that's really different now is that certain bars and certain restaurants and stores some of them that used to be open 24 hours like nobody's open 24 hours anymore not at least not in this area like i mean other than you know your gas stations and things of that sort but yeah man i mean it's it's you would think it's almost back to normal other than you know all the disease and people dying but but yeah it's uh it's it's texas man you know it's it is what it is because it's like yeah i mean pre-pandemic in in this country the live music was really struggling anyway the venues mm-hmm. were closing you know, difficult to get people to shows and stuff was it the same in the states was it was was that was that the case over there was the venues closing and and it was getting harder and harder but this is pre-pandemic was it was it right. was hard yeah 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 it was hard yeah and i think that that was one of the I guess silver linings that came out of the pandemic is that once bars and venues started opening up again, people wanted to go to a show. People wanted to go like have an experience, even if they didn't care, like, even like, uh, like if it's not good, we'll leave, you know, like the, the last few shows that I played with uh, CYD, like we've had people come out and I, I mean, it's not like just the typical, you know, the bands and the girlfriends or whatever. Like there's people that are just like walking in on the street, like, Hey, you know, it's Saturday night. Let's go out and do something like you have a little bit more of a, uh, a resurgence as far as like the live scene, like more people are willing just because they I guess because they've, you know, they were uh, they felt like they were deprived for so long, which, you know, half of them didn't even fucking go out anyway. But, you know, <laughs> once once you're told you can't do something, you want to do it. So, yeah, but yeah well, the, you, the, the impression is, is especially, you know, somewhere like Texas, you know, the impression is that that they the, the Texans hugely uh, you know, hold on to their liberty and their freedom and they're wanting to be able to yeah. do whatever the fuck they want. You know, it's that's, like, yeah, that's, the, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... The, the, the thought process that anybody that thinks of Texas thinks of. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, don't mess with Texas and, you know, and, and this huge, uh, you know, sort of 
liberty and freedom that they, that they enjoy that you know they're going to be like the minute we can go back to a live show we're going to fucking go back you oh, know yeah. and that's what's so funny too man the the stereotypes of texas are still so hilarious to me because the only people still riding on horses and wearing cowboy hats are the richest motherfuckers like the people <laughs> that can actually afford those fucking ranches and shit <laughs> those are the only motherfuckers that have that stuff and that's because they had the money all of us broke ass people we're just wearing t-shirt and jeans going to fucking work trying to get fucked up at the end of the night and that's it like it's 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 just like any other fucking town and city man so i think that yeah there is i understand that there is a bit of a misconception there but yeah i mean i think for the most part man people are just just like not like they're like everywhere else but you know like you got your good people you got your bad people um ignorance you know a lot of people aren't well educated but you also have a lot of people that are very creative and very innovative and and passionate and and they they want they want they want uh, the country to thrive. They want Texas to thrive. They, they want to present a better image, but yeah, you know, I mean, you can't change people's minds. I, you know, I've got so. a, I've got a friend uh, from, from Houston and uh, a while back he was telling me, uh, is, does the government do anything for, to support live music and, and that type of thing and support musicians? Did he, did they even do anything like tax breaks or anything like that? Did he do any kind of support at a, at a government level for, for live music? Do you find any of that? As far as I know, I don't think so. Um, I do know that they uh, there was a foundation that started a while back, and I think they have been actually been able to keep a couple of venues and uh, places open mm. that you know strictly for live music. Because I mean, oh, man, every everyone took a hit, not just the bands, but I mean the people that ran those places that did, you know, the sound guys, the stage guys, you know, your technicians. I mean, everyone like a lot of people lost their jobs, man. So like, yeah, they had to do something, but. Um, yeah, the, I mean, I don't know, man. The, I don't really, I'll be honest, I don't really pay a lot of attention to our government. I, I personally am not a fan of our government, of our text of the Texas government. There's a little bit of hypocrisy and some of the bullshit that they're doing right now. I mean, I don't, I'm not a political guy. I don't give a fuck, but it is just one of those things that like, I don't, that, that is the, that is the thing that kind of bothers me about Texas is that, like you said, you know everyone's like liberty blah 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 but it's like it's only if you agree with what i think otherwise get the hell out of my country and it's or get the hell out of my state and yeah. it's just like hey, no like people are allowed to disagree with you people are allowed to have their own opinions man so uh i'm sorry i'm not trying to get off on a tangent here but i'm just saying like yeah it's um what but with but with music though yeah man i mean it's always i always feel like i don't know just with bands and things like that it's they don't really pay us too much mind. So I don't, I don't really, as far as I know, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything as far as they've, they've done anything to sort of help us. But I mean, you know, what can you do? We can just, all we can do is keep doing what we do. And it's, it's very Absolutely. rare that governments of any, of any country really supports the arts or really supports yeah. live music and musicians. And it's a shame yeah. because that's often where a lot of the, the great stuff comes from everything from kind of helping people with mental health to, you know, giving yeah. them sorts of jobs, like you talk about crew and and people like that giving jobs. It's, I think it's a fundamental part of a of a of a, a city and a culture and a, and a country. I think it's a fundamental part of it is looking after the arts yeah. and music. What? How, how? I think we've got, we're nearly over an hour already, Trey. We could we could talk to Trey for ages, and we probably will get him on the show again. We're talking about his <laughs> yeah. other projects as well. Um, well, fantastic, fantastic! Thanks for coming on the show, Trey. That's been that's been great. Certainly opened my eyes to a few things there. Yeah, but uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, Trey from Sincere. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you uh, uh, giving me a chance to speak to your audience and everything. Um, 
Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll definitely be back to do this shit again, man. Yeah. It was <laughs> fun. I had a blast, man. I had a blast. Thank you so much. That was Trey there from Sincere. Really, what a, a great conversation there. As I always say, I'm going to get these people on again. I figure that about an hour is is the best sort of running time before everybody gets sick of my voice. But the stuff that, that Trey was bringing up was really, really interesting stuff about mental health and how you know, how we, you can overcome that. And the you know being in a band which is just two people, you know, with the advantages and disadvantages that has and technology, how we're helping to 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 bring that even forward. It used to be a long time ago that you couldn't really do become a band unless you had four or five members and stuff like that. And then you had like, you know, Trent and, and Resnet kind uh, of come along and started to prove that you could do it separately. And they became the, the birth of these single people, if you will, projects and stuff. And then, you know, recently Hell Ripper, who we've had on the show, was a, was a great insight to the, the kind of the one or two men teams that, that help produce music. And it's just a really interesting way of doing it. And it gives you a really interesting dynamic. Um, I would strongly suggest checking out Sincere. What they're doing at the moment is fabulous, and it, it continues to get better. You can. What's great about seeing and speaking to a band that's that's quite young in its inception, so to speak. I mean, they've been going for it since twenty fifteen, so it's not really that young, but it's certainly in the beginning stages of their career. As you can see, the growth and get really excited about the growth as they move forward. It's like, what what are they going to do next? Which way are they going to do do next? Which way are they going to go next? And that's very exciting to me, especially why I, I encourage people to check out bands at the very early stage because you almost. It's crazy. It's it's strange. It's, it, you almost share their success when they start to become more successful. People get into them. It's nice. It's all oh, okay. It's cool to be that elitist one and say I was there at the beginning. But it's nice just to sonically and audio to kind of just see their journey from an audio perspective and, and and listening to the things that they do and how they're moving forward. And you can really hear that with their new stuff and sincere. And I'm going to keep it updated with with their type of uh, work and their output as well, and the, the other projects that the Trey's involved with as well, which I'll, I'll put links on to as they become uh, up and apparent. As always, I do want to speak to everybody from all around the world, other countries, other cities, other towns, or wherever it may be, uh, may be because I find it's a fascinating insight that there's a lot of stuff that's, that's the same and there's some stuff that's different. And it's great to understand that we are part of a metal community, one that accepts out, that accepts all, that it, you know, sees past you know political beliefs and, th- and ideologies and things like that. And it's just purely about great songs and great music and metal. And it does it does bring us together. So it's great to speak to Trey there and get his his views on things. And so you know, understand what some of the challenges that that, that he's facing. And if you are in a band or a, or a musician who would like to appear on the Spoken Metal Show and talk about what's going on for yourself, we would, I would love to have you on the show. I've got a bit of a backlog at the moment, such as, such as the amount of people wanted to come on here, which is a great problem to have, because I wanted to give a nice sort of spread of different countries and, 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 and outlooks and stuff, and I have. I've got that. I think I really have. I'll bring some back some more of the traditional shows soon, but these ones I'm really enjoying, and I'm hoping you're enjoying too. I will leave you now with, with some sincere... Um, a little taste of sincere in in the form of uh, the song there, uh, just a little taste of chaos. Mm-hmm. 